Welcome to Hoof and Horn, a witch's podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, paganism, music, the occult, and whatever else we want. Welcome to this mini episode on Hoof and Horn, a witch's podcast, where we're telling some Samhain myths. Now, Samuel's going to describe a myth between Anne Morgan and Anne Dagda, and Braxis and I will tell the myth of Clockta, as was told to us by Gemma McGowan. While these are two myths that are from the Celtic Isles, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to work with Anne Morgan and Anne Dagda or Clockta at your Samhain rituals. Obviously, many pagans work with many different gods, and there have been many times that we've had Samhain rituals where we might work with Hecate or another deity, and that's perfectly fine. In my practice, I really do tend to look at the name of the Sabbath and the gods that we're working with, and these days, I don't particularly call a Sabbath by its Celtic name and work with a god outside of that um, region. I might call it All Hallows if I wanted to work with Kate or something else, Night of the Ancestors. It just doesn't make sense to me. But that's me personally. You can call it Samhain and work with Akati. You could call it Samhain and work with Hermes. You could call it Samhain and work with whoever it is that you want. But I just encourage you to think about this aspect. When it comes around to Yule, if we're working with the Norse gods, I'll call it Yule. If we're working with different gods, I'll call it the winter solstice. It's just something to think about. So enjoy these myths. And stick around at the end for the bloopers, because after a couple hours recording, tongues get tied, and it's pretty funny. Happy Samhain. So I'm going to tell the story of the married couple. The union of Andagda and Othmorigan. Um, it was before the great battle with the Formorian army, where the Morrigan had promised that she was going to perform this act of valor to save the the de Danon during this large battle. And so every year on Samhain, specifically this Samhain in particular, before this great battle was struck, Andagda met on Morrigan at the river Unshin, where she was washing her genitals with one foot on the land and one foot in the river with nine trestles of hair braided around her side. And Andagda walked up to her after she had fed him to come forward to her. And they had marital relations within the, within the river. Um, and this is something that was said to happen every year and it just happened to be the day before this large battle was to take place. And after they had done what married couples do, they had strategized about how 
he was going to take the the land back because at the time the dog on Dogda was one of the kings of the Tlahadedanan. Still is. Um, and she told him that he was going to strip his land of nothing on it so that it was just a battlefield. And she said that she would perform acts of sorcery upon the Fremorian king to take from him the blood of his kidneys and the blood of his heart so that his strength would be weaned and unable to perform as a king should. So, after they had left and the battle had started, on Morgan shows up upon this hill holding two fistfuls of blood, the blood of the king's valor, the Fomorian army, and set rage within the, within the army of the Tlahededanen and said that this was for you. And that's the story of the wedded couple in the river Unshin on Samhain that happens every year. So some of the symbolism that we're kind of seeing here is life and death, right? In this very liminal place, one foot on one side of the river, one foot on the other. And here's like the Dagda, the good god, the god of fertility and plenty. And then you have um, Morrigan, right? So there's this, this opposites of life and death here together. And then what I like is like right after their union is she breaks into that prophecy which it kind of like is her i mean she we know it, it's it's morgan right she can prophesize whenever she wants to but i think yeah. it's really interesting that it's after this energy raising that here comes it's like the sacrifice has been made and here's the the prophecy that comes afterwards two fistfuls of blood that's hardcore. That's a metal song. Oh. <laughs> that is. That is. That is. Um, Can you write that? <laughs> I, I, I love that story for so many reasons. Yeah, tell um, us why. And there's a and there's a part of it that I think is so fascinating because like the more on Morgan knew that he was coming, and yet she was washing herself in this in this river, and he did not approach her until she said that he committed. Mm. Um, and I think that that is uh, sovereignty. And uh, is one of the, her most uh, crucial aspects to herself is she's a goddess of sovereignty. And while in ancient Ireland, sovereignty was more connected to kingship in, in the land, I think this story in particular can pinpoint a modern interpretation of sovereignty as body autonomy. Mm. That's someone is not allowed to approach you until you say it's okay, or not allowed to touch you until you say it's okay. So. Mm. This was a very consensual act. It was not a "I'm giving you this" or "I'm taking this from you to do this for you." No, it was a it was a agreed upon loving situation to where a wife would support her husband in this way of "I'm going to go do this." Yes, because I want us to succeed. Yeah, nice. Very romantic. Absolutely. Shall we also tell the story of Klopta? I think so. So this is a story that um, I learned from an Irish priestess, Gemma McGowan. And I think it was 2013? 2014? Whenever Superstorm Sandy happened, we had uh, convened in Manhattan and 
uh, Gemma was over from Ireland, my high priestess Courtney Weber, and myself, and we oh. did a Samhain, we priestessed the Samhain ritual together. It was epic just getting there because of everything that was going on with uh, travel being um, affected and half of like southern Manhattan being flooded out and it was just, it, it was intense. Um, in a way, it kind of felt like Gemma brought Klockta to us. And before knowing Gemma, I had never heard of this goddess, right? And this is a, a Samhain origin story. I will put in this mini episode's show notes a link to the rituals that happen at the Hill of Ward, which Gemma is like one of the main priestesses of. It is a must-see. I hope that someday I could see this in person. But they've built it up to a few people, like 12 people just gathering at the Hill of Ward into something like, I don't know what happened last year, but where hundreds of people are going back to the Hill of Ward. And it's like the, the Irish people relighting the fires of Samhain, which is unbelievably intense. So again, this is a story based on a story written by Gemma McGowan. In the days of old, when night gave birth to day, and Ireland was a land of many gods and heroes, when the great festivals of Imog, Bealtaine, Ludasa, and Samhain were pivotal points in the lives of the peoples of that land, great gatherings were held to mark and celebrate the cycles of nature. At Imog, Breach Fire ignited a spark of hope as the lactating ewes heralded the coming of spring, and new life sprung forth from the darkness of winter. The returning light brought the promise of summer with its time of plenty, and Lady Breed blessed her people with renewed strength and inspiration. At Bialtina, young lovers found each other's warm embrace round the great fires at Usnach, the central point of Ireland where the high king kept his summer residence. It was here that the cattle were driven through the flames to cleanse all of them from malignity and to inspire fertility in the cattle, the people, and the earth herself. At Talton, now known as Telltown, home of the great harvest goddess Talcha, who gave her life in her efforts to clear the forests of Meath so that grain could be grown and cattle reared for future generations, the great festival of Unasa was held. The great god Lu, known as Ildana, the Shining One, because of his innumerable gifts and talents, inaugurated this festival to commemorate the goddess Talcha, his foster mother. On this day, lovers could marry for a year and a day, but should they wish to go their separate ways by the following Lunasa, annulments were commonplace. But it was to Klokta they came on Samhain night to celebrate the festival of the dead and their new year. On this night, the cattle were slaughtered and cured for the oncoming winter, and only few were kept to ensure reproduction for the following year. This was a time of plenty and of celebration when the people of the land could finally rest. Their work for the year was done, and all that awaited them was a long dark of winter months. To Klockta they came, a place shrouded in mystery where only her fires could burn on Samhain night, and all the other fires of the land were quenched to be relit only from Klockta's own. 
Little we know of their practices, for it is said that the cult of Klokta existed over 2,000 years ago. Friends, you are all very welcome to hear the sacred story on Samhain night. The tide of death is upon us. Frost and ice and snow will soon cover the land as the earth is plunged into her yearly slumber. Now yet again we face the long dark of winter, a time of slumber, of deep contemplation and of mystery. Tonight we gather as we have done for many years now, when the veil between the realms is at its thinnest, and we call back into the depths of time and space to when our ancient Celtic ancestors brought the sacred Samhain flame to Klokta, the sacred flame that was collected from the volcano lava at Lambay, brought up the Boyne River, and then the Yellow River, which runs close by Klokta before reaching its final destination on the Hill of Ward. Tonight we will tell you the story of fair and wonderful Klokta, the Earth Spear, goddess of knowledge and wisdom of lightning and of magic. The most feared of all the druids was the one-eyed druid Magruath, the keeper of the wheel. And why was he the most feared? For he had an insatiable thirst for knowledge and for power. Now Magruath had a fair and beautiful daughter named Klakta, and she was a wise and powerful sorceress in her own right. Together they built the Roth Ramak, the great spinning wheel of fire and lightning that carried them both across the sky. It is said that anyone who looked upon it were blinded, any who heard it were deafened, and any who touched it would die. Together they traveled the length and breadth of the country, seeking out the magical people of the land until they had exhausted all the knowledge they could come from the wise ones of Ireland. But Magruath's ambition knew no ends, and all the wisdom of Ireland was not enough to quench his insatiable thirst. Now, Magruath heard tale of a magus named Simon, a man with ambitions to match his own, who lived in Italy and whom, he had heard tell, had learned the arts of magic from Jesus Christ himself. It was believed he could talk to the birds and the animals and knew all their ways and wonderings, and Magruath believed he would find a kindred spirit in the magus. So he and Klakta traveled on the Roth Ramak, across sea and across sky and land until they reached the house of Magus. There, Magruath and Simon made their plans to travel to the ends of the earth, seeking out the magical peoples for whom they could learn the very mysteries of existence. But men beat men. They were too bloody lazy to go and do their own dirty work. So what did they do? They decided to send Fair Klakta in their stead. To China, Klakta flew over on the Roth Ramak, and there she learned the art of silk making. To the Arabic land she flew, and there she learned the art of incense making. To India she flew, and there she learned the art of using spices. To the Norse land she flew, and there she learned the art of runes and of written language. To the Americas she flew, where the Native Americans taught her the art of healing and medicine. To Greece she flew, and there she learned the art of philosophy and mathematics. To the British Isles she flew, and there, from the monks, she learned the art of dye-making. To Scotland she flew, where she learned the art of brewing beer from the heather. 
and finally she flew back to Italy where she learned the arts of astronomy and science. And so came the end of her journey. Clocta presented herself to her father and Simon Magus, and they saw how wise, knowledgeable, and powerful she had become, and their envy and jealousy knew no ends. And so it was that Mog Ruith handed his daughter over to the three sons of Simon Magus. They took her, and they defiled her, one sacred imbolc night, to satisfy the jealousy of the patriarchal world and to finally subdue the worship of the goddess. Nine months later, Clocta dragged herself to a hill, today known as both the Hill of Ward and by the goddess's very own name, and there she gave birth to three sons, Norb, Juma, and Mauk. Their names resonated throughout the land, and in the legends of the Fearbolg, they went on to become great rulers of Leinster, Connaught, and Munster. It was also said that so long as their names are remembered, no vengeful strangers should conquer the lands of Ireland. We remember them today, and remember that Clockta gave herself in sacrifice to protect the people of Ireland and their sovereignty. I love that story. Me too. I love how you read it. <laughs> Thanks. I love that voice. I'm glad there's ed editing that came <laughs> <in there. laughs> It's all true, but that's why this is not a live radio broadcast. Mm, indeed. I think that the story, you know, some, some Irish myths, they really, like, oh, great. Clockta was defiled, got pregnant, had babies, and died. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that can be quite, you know, it can be triggering. Yeah. And Traumatic. Yeah, to, to, to many people, especially when we aren't used to myths and stories like that from, you know, in our own everyday culture. Um, in ritual, both what they do at the Hill of Ward and what we did that night when we had that ritual in Manhattan, you know, we bring Clockta back. You know, she is the earth spear. So what Clockta is said to mean is earth spear, lightning, right? So she's also, she's that lightning. She's also a goddess of sovereignty, which then connects to the land. And how do we, you know, rape the land? We do it all the time, we, you know, so I think that you can take the myth and then bring her back to speak and bring and call her back. You know what I mean? And I think that, you know, utilizing the chant that I, I'm going to have to ask Gemma if she made this up or if someone else did, because the only place that I've that I've heard it is, is from her. But, you know, utilizing the chant then at this point, if if working with Clockta in the ritual and you're that maybe you're playing this out just how they do there, or you're telling the story in a ritual. It's, it's important not to end it right there, you know? And so utilize the chant, maybe do the divination there. Maybe you're, you're getting messages from Clockta, from whether you're doing the candle wax in the water, or tarot, or someone's using a, you know, throwing bones, and someone's using runes, or someone's using a, a, a pendulum. 
what does Clockta's message to you? What does Clockta's message to to the group? Uh, yeah, the chant is probably one of my favorites to play and listen to. I think you would probably be happy if we rewrote for the Sabbath like a everything chant to every in that <laughs> melody, you know, that cadence. Yeah. yeah. How's your drum gonna sound with the cover on? Let's fucking find out. There yeah. we go. Your big sigh of relief <laughs> made me go. Envy and jealousy knew no ends. And so it is. Was. That Margaret. God damn it! Sorry, man. <laughs> What's wrong with you? To Scotland she flew where she learned the art of brew beering. Nope. <laughs> hope you enjoyed the myths please remember to follow and like on your favorite podcasting app and on social media and from braxis samuel and myself happy Samhain. <laughs>